let's just go and get it What's with all this bad energy? Collectively, we'll bring the city back to what it's meant to be But jealousy is weighing everybody down heavily We get it, B I'm a chef, organizing recipes Hella trees, burning down forests, blazing endlessly The ends will be uptown, Limeage, where her friends will be Downtown, Queen Duke, it's royalty in heaven, B It's Papa and Hamilton they coppin' from Hamilton Dirty lakes, dirty money, dirty cops is in Hamilton We got it in Hamilton Welcome to Season 2, Episode 18 of the Eatin' Em Raw Podcast It may cost you 10 bucks to park on the lawn, but this podcast is 100% free I'm one of your co-hosts, Josh Thomas, alongside Troy Durrell and Josh Bain we're coming to you with a disappointing week one for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Um, how are you guys doing today? How are you doing, Josh? How are you doing, Troy? I'm doing okay. You know, disappointed from week one, but uh, sure we're. I'm sure we could all say the same. But other than that, I'm doing well. Enjoying the nice weather here in Hamilton today. Yeah, the fact that the Bulldogs won last night, I'm sure kept you kept oh, your spirits up a little a bit game. that's the loudest i've that's the loudest i've ever heard the first ontario center with the with the ohl team it's got it got pretty loud for the ahl but for the ohl team that's the loudest i've heard it it was crazy yeah was crazy yeah guys. definitely yeah mason McTavish. mason McTavish. oh bro that second goal he scored oh off the post it was something yeah. special yeah, that dude's insane like last year when anaheim was making their pick i was like what he went third I thought he was going to go kind of like mid first round. Yeah. And they look like geniuses now. He's, he looks like oh, yeah. he's going to be such a good player. But oh, yeah. he's gross. Yeah. Uh, to answer your question, JT, I'm doing, I'm doing all right. Yeah. Ticats uh, loss was pretty disappointing. Um, I don't think any of us really expected that result. And I think more so the fashion that they lost instead of the fact that they lost is what, what bothers me. But uh, we'll get into that, I'm sure. And yeah. uh, how are you doing? No, I'm, I'm all right. I'm okay. Just working away out here, dealing with the craziness of the kids, preparing for a, a long road trip up to Fort McMurray that probably don't want to make, but, you know, such is life. And, uh, yeah, doing all right. You had the wifey down for, for a little bit, didn't you? Let's, let's start on a positive note. Was, was that yeah. A, uh, good? <laughs> yeah, her and, her and I were in Vancouver. It was really nice. We were looking at the weather um, the last, like, couple of weeks before we were supposed to head up, and it was – rain 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 we're like oh okay like the point of going to vancouver was to get away from some rain and some not so good weather in manitoba and alberta where we're from and thankfully we got there and it was beautiful um basically every day except the day we were traveling home so it was good yeah i went to stanley park went to granville island did all the touristy stuff and uh yeah we had a really good time she's coming back up in july for my birthday so i'm very excited to see her again but man anytime i get the chance to be with her it's always uh always a special moment for me long distance as people maybe were able to tell winnipeg to calgary isn't the easiest but uh we make it work you know so yeah it's uh it was good and we were able to watch the first game of the cfl season together montreal and calgary and it was an entertaining game and uh then we made sure she's funny. This is how I know that she's the one for me. She, when we were booking the trip, um, she lives in Winnipeg. So therefore she's a bomber fan. And uh, she's like, Oh, like I need to make sure I make it home 
for Friday the 10th because I need to go to the Bombers home opener. And I'm like, okay, I'm like done. I'm like, I, I totally get that. I was like, if it was me, I'd be doing the exact same thing. Yeah. So, places to um, be, man. Got to be at yeah. the home opener. <laughs> exactly. So her flight, yeah, left Calgary at like 1, 1230-ish Alberta time. And she got home by 3-ish Manitoba time. And went home, grabbed your jersey, like changed, and they went to the game like her and her family did. So it was uh, worked out pretty perfectly. But yeah, uh, it was good. Other than other than the football game itself, Ticats losing. I can't really complain too much about the last week, week and a half. So yeah, I remember reading a story when like the Jets were in the playoffs that Winnipeggers were complaining that the games lined up together because they were like, man, we can't miss the games. We need time to get from game A to game B. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. oh, these guys love their teams. So, yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> well, and they actually moved up, or maybe it was they moved up the Bomber game in the West Final against Saskatchewan last year or moved back the Jets game an hour. So team that people who were mm-hmm. going to both games were able to make it to both without showing up late or whatever. So, yeah, it was uh, – yeah, they're they're very committed. If anyone has not watched the Jets during the playoffs, like their whiteout crowd that they have their little street parties are insane. Mm. And uh, they they take the bombers obviously pretty seriously too. So um yeah, major props to her and uh, her family. She uh she's been a bomber fan for a long time. So I'm not gonna not gonna judge her even though it's not the black and gold, but uh yeah, you know. Still love her to death. Very, very cool stuff. Well, I'm glad, glad to start on a positive note. That's probably all the positivity you're going to hear today. Let's get uh, negative, boys. The Tim Hamilton Tiger Cats obviously suffer a very disappointing loss to Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Um, 31-13 is the score. Am I correct there, boys? I think it was 30-13. to 30 to 13. Okay. I gave him, I gave him the extra rouge just for, for no reason. 30 to 13. We get walloped in Saskatchewan. It was much closer until the fourth quarter, um, but the offense could really never get going. The offensive line had Dane Evans running for his life, which makes it hard to evaluate his play, but he wasn't great anyway. And uh, I don't know. You don't want to overreact because it is week one. We've seen the Ticats, you know, start poorly before, but, Really not a great performance specifically from the O-line. Yeah. Anytime you allow eight sacks in a game, um, that's obviously not going to win you many football games. And the offense turned it over five times, um, four of which were on Dane Evans. Love the guy mm-hmm. to death. But two two uh, fumbles and two interceptions. You're not, you're not going to win many games offensively if you're allowing eight sacks and having five turnovers. Um, and the thing about the offensive line, even more so than the sacks, were the fact that they were taking penalties that nullified positive plays. Uh, the special teams early in the third quarter, uh, we come right out of halftime. Domigala misses a field goal just before half, so Saskatchewan's up 9-6. The ensuing kickoff after, this, after halftime, uh, Kyle Wilson forces a fumble. And uh, Curtis Newton picks it up and Hamilton's like on Saskatchewan's within their 40 and Hamilton scores a touchdown, beautiful pass from Evans to wide open Steven Dunbar for a touchdown, but it gets called back because Alex Fontana uh, had a holding penalty and he, Alex Fontana, man, I don't like picking on individual players, but he really struggled in his first game in over two years. 
and Travis Bourne call at left tackle. He also he also struggled a lot to uh yeah, it was yeah. very it was very tough to watch offensively on, on both sides, but Saskatchewan was able to get their offense figured out quicker than Hamilton was, and that was basically the deciding factor in the game because both defenses played pretty well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't yeah. think anyone in this chat has anything to say poorly about the defense. Um, they kept Hamilton in the game as long as they possibly could. So, yeah. um, Josh, what, what did you think of the game overall? Um. As you said, with the O-line was very frustrating. Didn't give Dane a lot of time to plant his feet and do what he had to do. And the turnovers were very costly, too. I think kind of right when that first that first fumble, we kind of shot ourselves in the foot and we were working from the back foot, like, from then on in. Uh, the defense played amazing. You know, my guy, 2-5, had eight tackles, played unreal. The defense looked good until – the end of the game, which wasn't really their fault because of just poor field position from the interception and stuff. But I know, like the defense did what they do. We're not surprised. And uh, the O-line needs plenty of work. I'm missing Coulter Woodmansey a lot. Just uh, Kyle Saxlet going down too was very costly for us because brings a good, uh, good Canadian guy in who is very good at his position. So just all in all, just a very disappointing game. I'm not surprised because it's week one and when was the last time we won a week one game? Like the away game, the first game in BMO, was that our last week one win? No, 2019. 2019. Started 3-0. Yeah, yeah. we beat yeah. Saskatchewan at home. Um, but yeah, yeah, just, just to follow up on your point about Saxlid, man, it was very tough to see him go down. I thought he was only in there for a short period of time, but I thought that was when the offensive line looked the best was when he replaced foreign call at tackle. And yeah. then three plays into his his time, he's suffering a knee or it looked like an ankle. We saw him later on the sidelines uh, in a walking boot and crutches. So it, I don't know. It doesn't doesn't really tell you. I think it's ankle. Hopefully it's ankle instead of like a torn ACL, which is weird to say because broken ankle is a little easier to recover from or a high ankle sprain, whatever it is, than obviously a torn ACL. But yeah, you never like to see a guy like that go down. We were all very excited to see him suit up for the black and gold for the first time. And, uh, yeah, it's tough. The offense, they didn't produce anything along the ground either. Uh, leading rusher, I believe, was Tim White, two carries for 11 yards. Um, not good. Don Jackson had five carries for one yard, which basically yeah. sums up how how the offense was uh, was performing. and. Tommy Condell, JT, I'll throw it over to you about Tommy Condell because, man, it seemed like he had some very uh, questionable play calls, I'll say. One that you and I talked about specifically, the Ticats have the ball around midfield and it's second and one and they line up in shotgun and run a sweep and they lose two yards and have to kick on third down. Just seemed like he at times decided that he was going to take shots when given the Nick Marshall interception on Hamilton's second possession. And there were other times where he was way too conservative when they should have been aggressive. What do you think? Oh man, Tommy Condell just frustrates me in so many instances. Like, I don't know. Even if you look at the play we're talking about the second and one and you're from shotgun and run a sweep, like the play before that they ran a designed hook close, like before the sticks playing for third down, right? So if you're going to play for third down, you think you have that play that's going to get you your guaranteed one to three yards. 
why is that play a sweep from shotgun? Like I just boggles my mind in certain situations, you know, like I said a lot about Masoli's game management, but like maybe it's Condell and maybe he's just the one making questionable decisions in terms of play calls. Um, again, I don't want to overreact in week one, but like, like you said, there's times where you'd think he'd take shots and he wouldn't times where you'd feel like he'd make, take the conventional play. That's like, you know, okay, let's get behind our big offensive lineman and get the, you know, yard or two yards we need. Um, there's just too many times you're on second and short and punting the ball because you lose yardage, not even yeah. thinking about going forward on third down because you lose yardage. Like it's, that's frustrating for me. Um, the offensive line to, it was, it was reminiscent of the great cup, the first great cup in Winnipeg or against Winnipeg, sorry, in Calgary. Um, Evans just running for his life, right? Like the one thing I'll say about Dane Evans though, and even in that game, I think he, he gave up the ball a bit. We've talked about how he's kind of had, he kind of has that dog in him. I, you know, I've said he's simply a baller. Um, it, he, I think he's aware when the offensive line is playing this way. I think he's aware that the opportunities are few and far between, and he's trying to make something happen. Just throw it away. You know what I mean? Like, yes, you want to extend plays. Yes, you want to make something happen. Yes, you're awesome. a world-class class athlete. And, you know, special plays happen when, you know, you extend plays. And, and that's how, you know, you, you do it best, obviously. You're a professional. But a game is not won in the first half or lost in the first half. Um, you know, but you really can't be giving up points. You cannot be giving up the football. Like Troy said, you can't give up the ball five times and expect to win. So throw it away. Throw it away. Instead yeah. of rolling out of the pocket and trying to escape from three guys and get a, a, get a ball out and you got backside pressure coming that you don't even know about, throw it away. Just toss it away. That's, that's the one thing I can say. Other than that, I mean, I can't really evaluate Evans. I don't like the two INTs, but I mean – I don't know how hard is it to throw with a 300 pound dude who's really in shape running full speed at you trying to kill you. We don't know that. So um, the offensive line just, it was bad, right? Right. Like there, there was pressure every single play um, forcing him out of the pocket, almost every single play. So it just needs to be corrected. And like you said, kind of bad to worse with the injury to Saxolid because he, when he replaced one of those problem areas that you touched on and we don't like to pick on players, but, that that um what was his last name pardon me born call there you go born call uh born call did not have a great game <clears throat> and neither did alex fontana and when Saxled came in and stepped in for born call the offensive line did look better so um yeah just a really kind of tough tough one for the offense to take lots of lots of offensive work to do heading into the the, the week yeah one thing i do want to mention about dane though and i love this just, I don't know if either of you guys watched the post-game interviews. Um, he took full responsibility, which I thought was unnecessary for the result of the game. He said, yeah, mm -hmm. the four turnovers are 100% on me. He's like, a lot of the sacks fall on me. I didn't make a read or a decision quick enough. And, mm -hmm. like, obviously if you watch the game, you know that not all of it falls on him. It's a team game, but I do love the fact that 
he is the leader of the group and he takes mm-hmm. all the pressure and all the blame on himself. Right. Like, and after a game like that, it's very easy to delegate and say, yeah, well, we as a team, the offensive line, um, the receivers, blah, 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 didn't, didn't do their jobs. But he said, no, it's all on me. It falls on me. Like if, if we're going to succeed, I need to be better. And uh, I, I like the fact that even if it was, in my opinion, incorrect of him, because as I said, football is a team game. You win as a team, you lose as a team. I do like the fact that he wasn't willing to throw anyone under the bus and took full responsibility for the loss. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I didn't think he played. There was, there was, he played okay at times, um, but I agree with his assessment that he needed to, you know, make decisions a little bit sooner. There were times, however, where it's like a guy's running a hook and before he turns around, you know what I mean? There's a, there's a lineman in his face. That's, that's not the quarterback's fault. Like, I, I don't know what else to say. And not only that, like if you even look at one of the touchdowns or one of the, it wasn't a touchdown. It was just a, a nice completion over the middle, um, 20 to 30 yards. Don Jackson laid his body on the line for Dane Evans to make a block because a guy came clean up the middle. Right. Yeah. If, if, if Don Jackson doesn't, if, sorry, if Jackson doesn't stand in the block, it, it's probably another sack. And it was a bang, bang place. So, like he did not have any time from the snap of the ball. So I can't blame him fully, but yeah, he, he, I, I definitely, I love him being a leader and taking responsibility. It says a lot about Dane and uh, like him as a person has character that he's willing to take all the, <clears throat> all the blame. It's just like that's just the type of person you want in your locker room leading your football team, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the dudes, the dudes on the team are gonna go to war for him after he says something like that. Not that they weren't prior, yeah. but you know, it just kind of furthers their opinion of yeah, this is our leader. This is the guy that we're going to live and die for. Mm-hmm. And uh, after comments like that, like the one thing that I am going to take away from this game that I believe is reason not to overreact which lots of fans we saw on social media lots of fans were doing was the fact that as you mentioned jt hamilton is notorious for slow starts um they were brutal last year Hmm. in the first two weeks against winnipeg and saskatchewan they i think scored a combined 13 points which i mean not that scoring 13 points in one game is good. You're not going to win many games doing that. But I thought they were worse to start the year last year than they were this year, if that makes any sense. Which, Because I thought all three phases of the team last year at the start of the season needed a lot of work. And right now, it's the offense. Like the defense, as we mentioned, I thought they played outstanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, the score is notwithstanding of what they did. Uh, they had it at a 15-13 game. Like, kept the Ticats offense within scoring distance, right? And uh, striking distance. And yeah. they did their job. Special teams, the cover units, I thought were both solid. Um, returning, Woods had a couple decent returns, I thought. And, um, yeah. And I saw one Saskatchewan fan mention, and I brought it up in our group chat, that in 2014, Hamilton traveled to Saskatchewan for their first game of the year, Zach Kalaros's first game as a tie cat. They lost 31 to 10 and allowed 10 sacks. Well, mm-hmm. that team made the great cup. Obviously yep. that's seven, eight years ago, but uh, I mean, it, it can be done. Hamilton's offensive line last year got better as the year went along. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, 
they're not going to give up eight sacks every game, right? So th- there's only only room for improvement, I think. And the BC Lions went 0-6 and still won the Grey Cup. So it's not really how you start. It's, it's how you finish. Um, but, yeah, we, we acknowledge that it wasn't a, a great – Great game anywhere. Um, at, on defense, though, I, I love that you touch on that. I really do. I love the defensive play. We talked a lot about the defense coming into the year. We expected them to be really good, and they were really, really good. Um, they had no – honestly, the Cats had no business being in a 15-13 football game at that point, um, and they really had no business being in that football game past the first half with where the turnovers fell. Um, <clears throat> so for the defense to keep them in the game – uh, it was it was really impressive. They made some really good plays, and they look so stout in terms of like flying to the ball once the catch has been made. There were so many tackles made short of the sticks where these guys, okay, you can have the play short of the sticks, but we are going to come and hit you in the mouth. And you know, third down, third down, third down, third down, just bailing their offense out all game. Um, mm-hmm. This defense was, it was for real. It was everything we wanted it to be. So if they continue to do that all season and be consistent, then we're happy. Yeah. There's two specific, well, I guess, two instances in the game that really stood out to me for the defense. One, after the first turn- turnover, Saskatchewan has the ball on Hamilton's 25 yard line. Mm-hmm. They only allow a field goal on their first drive of the year. Like that's the first time, I guess, other than one series in preseason, that's the first time they're touching the field and it's already in their own end. Um, and they only allow three points. And then the other one was um, Saskatchewan going for the third and inches and Kyle Wilson standing up Cody Fajardo behind the line of scrimmage. And mm-hmm. you watch the replay third and inches it wasn't even close like Fajardo was I think he lost a yard even because yeah, he of just gets pushed Kyle. backwards yeah yeah like Kyle and that's Kyle Wilson that's not a star of the defense quote-unquote I think he is a star in the making I really like what he did in uh preseason but yeah th- those were the two instances where I was like okay this defense is for real but I do want to ask you guys was there a bit of concern from you that there weren't that many they had pressure on Fajardo but they didn't result in a lot of sacks is that an area of concern for you guys it's week one I mean if it's if we're back here week three week four and we're still having the same issues yeah I think it's a cause for concern but it's just a week one they're still it's new pieces coming together they're missing a big piece in Jagera Davis so I think it's just Mm. I think it's just them just trying to learn how to become one now without because like as good as Mason Bennett may be or may become, like it's going to be very hard to replace Jagger Davis. So they're going to have to learn how to kind of replace his production and still gel in with the new guys to make it the same D line as last year. Yeah, I think Josh hits it on the head for me. I would just say this makes me kind of put a little little note on my clipboard that says Jagger Davis and you know how much we may or may not miss him um, and kind of check in on that halfway through the season. It's week one. So if this is a problem, like he said, in week three, four, five, then, you know, maybe we start to talk about how much we really do miss a guy like Jagera Davis and maybe bringing a replacement in um, to supplement that. But uh, I think that with the pieces we have on the defensive line, uh, they'll come together and, and you'll start to see them getting to some quarterbacks. I think Julian Hauser is going to have a big year in terms of sacks. Um, 
I think Micah Johnson's probably going to have a few. Um, so I think we're going to get there on the defensive line. I'm not too, too worried, but uh, we'll see. We have a little asterisk in with Jagarid's Davis. Jagarid Davis's name on it. For sure. Another thing I wanted to bring up to you guys that I think we should talk about was the Simone Lawrence unnecessary roughness penalty. Uh, lots of people on Twitter, specifically Ryder fans, uh, were saying it was a dirty hit. Um, I I personally don't think, like, was it warranted of the 15-yard penalty? Yes. But people are calling for suspension and, all oh, this guy oh, is such goodness. a dirty player. Like, I... <laughs> As I said, was it questionable? Absolutely. But Fajardo, if you watch the replay, as Davis Sanchez said on the panel, Fajardo still trying to drive for extra yards. And Simone, he's out there. He's trying to punish you. There's no doubt about it. Simone Lawrence is not out there playing the game of football to make friends. He is out there trying to punish the opposition and make them not want to play uh play the game anymore but yeah. i did not think i did not think it was as bad as lots of rider fans or fans across the league were making it out to be what do you guys yeah. think i, I mean go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead, josh no go ahead go ahead i think josh. it's just it's just because it's so many lawrence anybody else makes that hit there wouldn't be that big of a controversy rider fans are still butthurt over the claros hit which i still agree that was still a dirty hit but they're still butthurt over it and if it was say if it was somebody like cam kelly or JSK, or even, like, Grant McDonald or Kyle Wilson. Like, there wouldn't be as big of an outrage just because it's Simone Lawrence, and he has a few of those questionable hits. But it was a clean hit. Like, as Troy mentioned, Chez said on the panel that Fajardo was still making motion as Simone went to make the hit. So, like, yeah, the 15-yard penalty was deserved, but it was still a clean tackle. Yeah. The thing is, man, especially, like, there's an aspect to – like, I get Simone is – has been known for maybe some questionable hits in the past. And like you said, the hit on Coleros, I didn't agree with at the time. I don't agree with, but I don't think this can be classified as dirty or suspendable. Like, it's just like, I don't know, man, there's even an aspect of football to like, if you try, like if you try and run on me with your QB, right. With your most valuable asset, I'm going to make you pay for that in some way, shape, or form. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to have to pay the price, right? If you don't want this to happen, don't leave the goddamn pocket, right? Like, that's a defender's mindset. I'm going to go hit him so he does not want to leave that pocket again and run, right? And so, still, oh, sorry. I, I, I don't blame Simone. He's got, like, like you said, he's driving forward. You know what I mean? Like, he's still trying to get yards. This is a game of literal inches, and he's trying to set the tone. This is what happens if you do this, right? You don't like it, don't do it again. Maybe it's a little bit late. Yeah, cool, deserving of the 15 yards, and you move on. But you have to play on that edge if you're a defensive player. You have to. You're taught to. End of the day, end of the day, it's football. If you don't want to get hit, go play baseball or soccer. You're here. Football is a violent sport. You're going to get hit every play regardless. It's a like, violent sport. It's a very violent sport. That was just like a split second off from being an okay tackle from Smoney. Just because that split second that Fajardo started falling after he started launching for the tackle was that made it look questionable. But if it was, if he was still going, Smoney just would have rocked him from the side and it would have been 
It would have just correct been... me if I'm wrong. This is like outside the pocket, right? Yep. Yeah, he was scrambling. He was he scrambled around in the pocket, then moved up, and yeah. uh, Malik Carney went to wrap him up. And as he was like kind of pulling him down, uh, Fajardo is trying to kind of wiggle his way through and still trying to advance the football. And Simone, as he's coming in, as Fajardo's body's kind of like being turned, that's when Simone launches himself, not launches himself, but like goes to lay a hit on Fajardo. And as Josh said, like split second, um, if it happens a split second earlier, Simone's hitting him like in the back side and not, yeah, not. And the thing is, too, that Ryder fans are talking about, oh, hit him directly in the head. Well, my my comment is, why did the concussion spotters not pull him then if it was contact to the head? He was he was able to stay he in the He hit him in his back plate is what I remember. People, like, like, people like don't get how fast dudes are moving, too. Like, you're moving full speed and lunging off your – like, essentially off your feet to hit somebody – and their helmet gets in your way. Do you think you have time to stop, think about it, move your head out the way, make sure no. you correctly tackle them? It's like, a lot faster, like playing it than it is watching it. You, like, yeah, you don't they're, know they're until pro- you're playing. Like, they're professionals, practice. man, and they try to do it every single game. But when you know Fajardo is leaning forward, that's what guys do to get extra yardage. Leaning, they lean forward. What goes forward first? Your head. There's contact. There's head contact in football. It happens, man. It's not always intentional. And the other thing is, if you don't want to get smacked, like, look, you know how many receivers get high load in a game? You know how many returners get hit in their head? If you don't want to get smacked, don't leave the pocket. It's football. You're going to get half a second earlier. Nobody throws a flag. I got nothing on that one. And I think, as Josh said, if it's another player on the Ticats defense, they don't yeah. throw a flag on that. We saw it's not an exact replica of the play, but a play that was similar. We saw it a night earlier with Kalaros diving forward, and he got hit in the head. And there was no yeah. flag on that, but the refs see Simone Lawrence has a bit of a history. That hit on Kalaros uh, a couple of years ago wasn't, wasn't good. I think we can all agree on that. That was a suspendable play. <laughs> But people seem to have that play in their mind every time the name Simone Lawrence gets brought up. And now he has a reputation that he kind of has to deal with. And they're going to make those calls on him and not on other players. And it's just something that the team and Simone's going to have to deal with. But as I said, I personally didn't think it was worth a penalty. Um, I, I guess I understand why they called it a penalty. But yeah, people saying it was suspension worthy or calling him oh this guy's such a dirty player like simone lawrence i'm like you guys need to give your head a shake but yeah i mean didn't didn't change the result of the game but it was a very popular topic on social media and fans across the league do not like simone lawrence if you're not a ticat fan you are not a simone lawrence fan for the most part and uh, i think that once again showed on saturday yeah i don't know man it's it's a lot of a lot of hubbub about nothing, I think, just because uh, it always kind of comes with 21 wherever he goes. So, Yeah, definitely. One thing I um, did want to ask, though, was the concussion spotters. What did you guys think of, of them and kind of how they affected things over the over the weekend? I liked, I liked them pulling Zach out of the game. You know, his uh, 
his history with concussions. He uh, he he was upset. Obviously, he was upset that they pulled him from the game. He was like, "I'm I'm good. I'm good. Let me keep playing." But yeah. I don't think the moment of the game should dictate when they decide to make that call. Like he got hit directly in the head. The contact yeah. of the back of his head smacked against the turf. Uh, I think they made the right call, and in the end, it turned out being fine for the Bombers. Drew Brown came in, went three for three, got them in field goal range, and they won. So it didn't really matter. I could see Bomber fans being outraged because of it, but I, even regardless that they lost, uh, I still think that was the right call for them to make at that moment in time. I agree 100% with Troy. Like It it shows that the health and safety protocol is working, that they're putting the player Mm -hmm. safety first, like regardless of who it is. If that that could have been roles roles reversed, that could have been Dane Evans, he gets pulled. I'd be upset in the moment just because that's our number one guy. But for the purpose of his well-being, I'd rather that be put first than the team winning the game. Yeah. A a couple things for me on this. Um, A, I like Zach being pulled. You could tell that he's down. You know, it's clearly taking him some time to get up. Um, You know, looks a little dazed. You know, he continues to try and get up, but he's like, you can see that he's like, he's leaning back and he's like, dude, I need a minute. Um, he looks dazed when he gets up. Like, you got to pull him. I, I agree. I get it. I don't understand how Fajardo doesn't get pulled or at least looked at. Right? Like, it's similar, if not the same, in yeah, terms his ne- of... His next snap when he got hit. Yeah. Like... And I understand like teams are going to go, okay, well, how often are we going to get our starting quarterbacks or top end players pulled because someone on a camera thinks that they might have a concussion, right? But player safety, mental health, what we know about, you know, head injuries. I, I just want it to be consistent. Right. Like, I don't understand why Cody Fajardo doesn't get pulled and Zach does. Like, I'm not saying that from like a competitive, oh, I wanted the tie cast to get those three plays without Fajardo. I, I really just don't get why one happens and the other doesn't. The other thing is, um, Zach Lawrence probably shouldn't have went back in that football game regardless. He doesn't because, like you said, Drew Brown goes three for three. I don't know if that's not the case or if they end up needing Kalaros if he does. Like, he looked like he got checked out by a couple of trainers, was pretty much like, get out of here. I'm going back in the football game, right? And after his three plays, I think he, there was, like, one that Brown had. Um, before yeah, he, they, just, hand, he just handed it, it off, though, to yeah, Oliveira, yeah. So, I mean, the other part of me is, like, yeah, three plays is great, but, like, I don't know. It's so hard to judge, man. Trainers do such a good job, but how many athletes are like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, I'm just a little shaken up. I'm fine. And they're not, no, not one, like 1% of the athletes maybe are going to be honest with you and say, yeah, I got shaken up really good and I should sit out, you know? So how many times is it going to be just the three plays and, and that's it. That's, that's the other thing I wonder. So those are my, my only two thoughts. Um, But I, I definitely agree idea and something that I'd like to see, you know, continue to be refined as we go forward. Cause you're right. I mean, Zach Laro's needed to, to be looked at probably should. I'm glad that he never entered that football. game. 
yeah, definitely. As I said, I thought they made the right call. And then, as you mentioned, I questioned why they didn't look at Fajardo, but it's hearsay now, I guess. Um, he obviously finished the football game, so at the end of the day, seems like his head's doing all right. But, uh, yeah, it uh, does make you wonder why one was pulled and the other wasn't when they both whiplash or contact the head or head hit in the turf. Yeah, you, you just wonder, like, any anything where the head looks like it wasn't doing what it was supposed to do, you would think that they would make a call, but uh, I guess that's I guess that's not how it goes. So we'll see. We'll see as the season goes along if they uh, if they keep doing that and uh, if it gets more consistent as we move along the weeks. But do we want to get into game balls now? Yes, I know you guys. Uh, I think you guys had had uh, Dun- Stephen Dunbar for the offensive game ball, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I think the. <clears throat> The one and a half touchdowns, I guess you could say, were big. That he created amazing separation on both plays. He was wide open for both plays. Great throws by Dane. So, but I know I remember JT. You said you did have Agent Zero as your offensive game ball. Yeah, I just I, I had a little shout out to Braylon Addison. I, I have no um, no disagreement with the the Dunbar pick. He was he was great as well. But I just had a little note to mention Braylon Addison: eight receptions on twelve targets, seventy two yards, fifteen rack yards, one rush for nine yards, which was big. Probably probably our biggest rush of the night. Um, and uh, unfortunately, he didn't see the ball again after that from that position. Um, but yeah, I just I had a, a little note for him. Yeah, one other guy I want to shout out to, um, Poppy White. I thought whenever mm-hmm. he got the ball, four catches, 56 yards, I thought he made something happen as well. Uh, mm-hmm. He was he, Dunbar, and Addison, I think, were kind of the lone bright spots on offense. And uh, But, yeah, I agree that I would, I would go Dunbar just because of the touchdown and then the one that got nullified by penalty. Uh, he should have had two touchdowns, but I have no no problem with Braylon Addison's game either. I thought he was very productive, and it's very nice to see him back in the lineup after basically missing all of 2021. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, uh, who do we have on defense? Jamal That's Roll. Eight. Jamal Roll. Yeah, got to be Jamal Roll. Eight tackles. He was all over the place. Mm-hmm. He was – he was very noticeable. I mean, you could also meant like also argue Alden Darby. He had a very good game. He had the near pick. I think it was the first or second quarter. He looked good. It was just Siante Cian- Evans had two very nice pass breakups as well. Yeah, that one on uh, Key and Schaefer Baker was very nice. That was a really good matchup to watch. Yeah, the the defensive backs I thought played very solid um, on Saturday. And the fact that Carriel Brooks has been added to the six game injured list, the signing of Alden Darby, uh, we were all very excited about it, but it looks even more huge now. Just the fact that we go, okay, Carriel Brooks is out for potentially six weeks. We have another all-star caliber player to put in his spot. Right. So yeah, it, uh, as we mentioned, we've said this numerous of times, the, Loss did not fall on the defense. They played outstanding, especially for the positions that the offense put them in. And uh, but yeah, I got to go Jamal Roll. He had, as you mentioned, eight tackles. I think he had a pass breakup as well, and uh, he was very, very solid in coverage all night long. For sure, I'm almost scared to ask, 
but who is your special team scheme ball? Uh, it's got to be Simon Laria. 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 Yeah. Uh, he had a great game punting. He looked really good. I think he had like a net of like 45 yards. He kicked for almost 400, like punted for almost 400. He looked good. Good. Uh, it's a good guy to have with uh, Whitford being hurt. Yeah. I was. Uh... We obviously didn't get to see Larea over the course of preseason. He was signed after the preseason yeah. game had happened, but I was very interested to see how he did. And he was one of the, well, he was named the Ticats player of the game. So that was uh, that pretty indicative of how the game went. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully we can get a continued performance from him where he's booming the ball, but uh, we see him way less than we did on Saturday. Absolutely. Um, and then the one thing I wanted to ask you guys about, you, we almost escaped it. Almost. Uh, Michael Damagala, inconsistent again. Hits from 52. Everyone's excited. Misses from 46. And then I think he hit from 25, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Um, thoughts just on him, his, his inconsistency again. Me? Okay, I'll go. Me and Troy were just like trying to figure out who was going to I don't know. Like the one he did miss was just a doink. I think he just – like, yeah, it'll fall on him, but I think he – I think he's going to have a better year than he did last year. I know it doesn't really say too much because he was still two for three, but, you know, you're just looking for any chance to shit on the poor guy, so. I'm not. I'm asking – hey, man. Look, <laughs> he was inconsistent last year. He was around 70%. He went 66% this game. I'm just – I'm asking a fair question. Like right? if, it is week the, one. If, it is if week one, he does it's one keep miss. missing kicks, I do think we need to bring tag leader, Seth Smallback, or try and find another kicker. Maybe, maybe that's what he needs is another kicker there to have him breathing down his neck to make him know that it's like – this is your job on the line type shit, but I for still me, think it's, he, it's for, sorry. Go ahead. go ahead. I still think he had like a relatively okay game. He had a good game. Like the kicks were on point. He literally just doinked it off the upright. Like, yeah, I mean, for me, it's frustrating because the ability is clearly there. Like if you hit from 52 on a consistent basis, we're going to love you. You know what I mean? Like the, the fan base is going to love you, but it's just, it's so inconsistent. And like tag leader, for example, tweeted out today that, you know, he's staying in Canada after a good camp, you know, competitive nature of the sport meant that he didn't get a job, but he's hoping to find a, a job with another team. And he, he tweeted out that he kicked 93.5% of his field goals through camp. Right. Like I, it's just hard for me when like 46 for some guy, like Sergio Castillo laughs at a 46 yard field goal. I'm sorry. He does. Right. Like it's hard for me when some guys are operating at a 90% clip to, to be at 70, but I mean, we're talking after week one. So I just, I wanted your thoughts on it. I didn't want to go too far into it. We probably already talked more about it than we need to after week one. Hopefully I, he I do have, I do have one point. You mentioned tag leader. That is also training camp and one preseason kick that he made. Like, we we don't we don't know what the other kickers numbers were like in training camp, right? Like what if what if Domagala went ninety-five percent in his kicks during training camp and the two preseason games? Like, do you have a differing opinion on him then? I would be questioning why I've never seen it in action. I mean, I think we've had a big enough sample size now. Right? Yeah. 
Like, I mean, maybe not. It's less than we've probably seen him kick the ball less than 40 times. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah, I don't know if, but I mean, like ha- him- at what point do you get there? Troy after, is it after 50 kicks? Is it after a hundred? If he's still 60, 70% that we're like, look, we just can't handle never knowing when the next miss is coming. I, I think he at the regular season level has had under 20 kicks. I think we got to give them 30, 40 before we can make a definite final decision that, yeah, this guy is either a good kicker or a bad kicker. Cause I don't know guys like Liram Hyralahu when he was first with Winnipeg, he struggled a lot and we saw what he became when he bounced around, was really good with Toronto, uh, was very good his second year in Hamilton. I just, as you said, the talent is there. I think just a lot of people, again, this is kind of similar to the Simone Lawrence with his one hit. A lot of people have the misconvert against Toronto in the back of their heads with Michael Domagala and have kind of held that against him. And yes, as you mentioned, he missed a couple other field goals. But kickers are going to miss, right? Not every kicker is going to go Lewis Ward 95% over the course of a season, right? So obviously 70%, I'm not not saying 70% is a good number, but I do think we need a larger sample size from him in order to be like, okay, this guy is not the guy to kick for the remainder of the season because they – Coach O and the front office Drew Alamang and for a while there Sean Burke I think they all have a great eye for talent we've seen some of the other dudes they've brought in there's a reason why Domagala I believe is still the kicker part of that's due to the fact that he's Canadian but I don't think they would have brought him back had they not seen something from him that think that he could be the kicker for this team long term I do agree it's early and and I agree with the sample size. It is very small. I'll give him the 30, 40 kicks that you're looking for, but you're just a hater, um, JT. We'll see. We'll see. After 30 or 40 kicks, whether I'm a hater or whether the proof's in the pudding. We'll see. I want some pudding. You want. Um, so we'll we'll get into some predictions, but first, uh, I think it's obviously fitting we talk about probably the, one of the best performances, if not the best performance from a quarterback in the CFL this week, Nathan Rourke, the Canadian kid, just putting on a show against a, an Edmonton Elks team that looks like they're in trouble. Um, what are your thoughts on, on his first start? Unreal. Unreal. It was so exciting to watch. Like him and James Butler, they were cooking with a different gravy on Saturday. That was just an unbelievable performance. I know – I was very interested going in to see how he would do, see if he'd start off shaky and then come into form. But he was like, I'm a grown man ready to sling the rock in this pro league. And it was just awesome to watch. Yeah. yeah. I think it was two touchdowns to the air, another two on the ground. Yep. And James I Butler think, had I think four he, I think five. he attributed for five touchdowns, maybe even. I think he had three through there. Ooh, there you go. Troy's got it. But um, that's crazy, man. Yeah, he's making our most outstanding Canadian, most outstanding player picks look pretty good, H.A.T. 
yeah, after week one, after week <laughs> one, my pick ain't looking so crazy now, is it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> we, we do, we do got to keep in mind though. It is no offense to the Elks. It is Edmonton. They're in a rebuilding year. They had a lot of new faces on defense. They look very, very overwhelmed. And, um, but yeah, shout out, shout out to Nathan Rourke. Um, was pretty crazy to see a Canadian quarterback. And I know the results for the other Canadian quarterback and Trey Ford weren't there, but it was pretty cool to see Canadian quarterback go up against another Canadian quarterback for a period of time in the game there. So, and the fact too, I want to mention, it looked crazy at BC place, the fans in the stadium and they had like a little street party outside the stadium too. It looked insane. Unreal. Yeah. Like I was like, I just mentioned at the beginning of the pod, Amanda and I were in Vancouver. I saw the street party and saw the atmosphere at BC place. I was so upset her and I didn't stay like another couple days to be able to attend the game. I was like, that looks insane. Yeah. My parents, Imagine like, that was the game you went, a game you went to. You watch Nate work, just do his thing. Yeah. Yeah. And my, my dad took my brother and I, we used to have a cabin up in BC. And so it was about a six hour drive from Vancouver this was 2004, 2005. Casey Printers had just come off his most outstanding player campaign. And my dad took us to a game against Edmonton, funny enough. And it was the atmosphere then was crazy because people were really in love with the Lions. It's cool to see them get back, hopefully, to a point of where fans are in love with them again and that they can routinely get 30 to 35K. And obviously the result of the game and seeing Nathan Rourke and James Butler do their thing. Yeah. It's not going to turn fans away. Right. It's just kind of sucks though, that they do have a bye week and they're not maybe able to build on this momentum. But as we were mentioning off air, Josh, it maybe is kind of nice for them because they were saying their ticket staff was really overwhelmed with the people who wanted tickets does give them a chance to kind of figure some things out and hopefully allow more people in the building because they restricted tickets sales after it got to like 35,000 people. Cause they just could not keep up. So yeah, we have not seen an atmosphere like that in BC for a long time. And hopefully it becomes the norm again, because the CFL is a lot better when Vancouver is bumping during CFL games and their fans are interested in the league. And when the lions are good too, that definitely helps as well, but it'll be interesting to see what Nathan Rourke does for a follow-up performance in week three. For sure. Um, yeah, no, it's, it was really cool to see what was kind of going on in, in BC. A lot of people were excited over it. Um, myself included. Um, you're right about the Elks as well. They look very overwhelmed. And I saw like a bunch of Elks players tweet about, um, basically day a or day one and how it was going to be awful because they were so bad in so many areas. And I was like, "Uh Oh, these, these poor, poor football players, man, they're going to be going through it for the next little while here. But yeah, you're right. They yeah. are going through a rebuilding stage. So anytime yeah, they have Chris Jones on the sidelines, I was like, man, that is going to be a rough first day for those dudes. <laughs> uh, their first day back preparing for week two. And I'm pretty, they placed the sketch one this week, I believe at home. But uh, Saskatchewan's now walk in the park, as Hamilton was able to tell. Their defenses uh, look pretty good. So it does not get any easier for Chris Jones and the Elks moving forward. And one other thing I want to mention about the Elks, too. Man, Kenny Lawler, there were a couple times they showed him on the sidelines. He did look visibly upset. Uh, I wonder if he regrets taking that big payday instead of taking a bit of a pay cut to 
stay with Winnipeg. That's a question mark I had. But uh, I do want to point out, uh, Mr. Stiffarm, Justin Decoud is not a good football player. He was getting burnt all night. It was like, so much fun to watch. The Josh first. The Josh versus uh, Tristan Deku rivalry is one I didn't know this podcast needed. I didn't know it existed either. It, it does now just because he's Mr. Stiffarm. Okay, boys. Who do we got for week two before we wrap it up here? So we got uh, Montreal and Toronto. Yeah, Toronto's hosting Montreal. Ottawa is hosting Winnipeg. We host the Calgary Stampeders and Edmonton hosts Saskatchewan. Ottawa's hosting Winnipeg? Yep. Yeah. A goal home at home? Nasty. That's Did you nasty. Uh, want me to show the predictions off here? Sure. All right. I will take uh, the Montreal Alouettes, spoiling the Argos home opener. I think Vernon Adams and company finally figured out. I think Gino Lewis <clears throat> has himself a fantastic game, burns up that Argos secondary. I'm going to go with uh, a 35 to 24 Alouettes win. I think uh, this week the Red Blacks do get it done. I think they finally – I think they do beat Winnipeg at home. I think they were very close last week, but I think having the Ottawa crowd behind them will be um, very good for them. Uh, and then Hamilton-Calgary, I will take Hamilton by a million. Hopefully the, the O-line can figure it out. But uh, we will wait and see. And then I'll take the Riders again against uh, Alks just because – Going it off the last two, like they're both teams' performances last week, um, it's just a no-brainer to pick to me, uh, JT. Um, I'm going to take the Argos in their home opener. I think they're going to beat the Alouettes. Um, I think the Bombers correct some things, and it's not as close as it was against Ottawa. Saskatchewan probably trounces Edmonton. Um and then, I mean, I'd love to say Ticats by a million, but if their O-line plays the same way, they're not going to beat Calgary. I don't know if a week on the road is enough to figure it out. Um, but Levi is practicing. I want the Ticats to win so very badly, but if I'm a betting man, I'd probably take Calgary in this matchup. And speaking of Bo Levi, while we were recording, I had a tweet pop up that said he has no tissue damage on his foot or ankle, so... He was still go up practice today, too, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 So it was just a walkthrough, but it looks like Bo Levi will be starting against Hamilton. But yeah. Yeah. My predictions, I think I'm going to have to agree with JT. I'm going to go with the Argos. Um, they do have a lot of injuries at receiver, according to the injury report yesterday. So maybe my opinion changes if all those guys are out of the lineup. Eric Rogers, I believe, Juwan Breskison is also hurt. Um, so. Might have my my prediction might swing uh, midweek, but William Standback being out is huge a huge loss for Dalowitz. He's out. He's on the six game injury list. Looked like a broken ankle uh, in week one against Calgary. Yeah, so that so that's really tough for them. But uh, Vernon Adams, man, that dude loves to air the ball out. So I think I <laughs> would you be surprised, Josh, if they didn't throw the ball sixty plus times week two. The the Owls? Yeah. Oh yeah. Like I love like I love talk it. Yeah. I love yeah. talk it. Yeah, exactly. So then um 
Winnipeg and Ottawa. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the Bombers. Uh, they, I don't, I don't. Ottawa played very well on Friday and lost. On Friday, I'm gonna go with Winnipeg over Ottawa. Uh, I Ottawa was the better team on Friday last Friday, and um, they they still lost the game. I think Winnipeg is going to put that effort. I thought they played pretty lackluster, in all honesty. I think they're going to put that effort on the back burner and get back to looking like the two time defending Grey Cup champions. And Hamilton, Calgary, again, gotta agree with JT. It pains me, but if the offensive line and the offense play anything like they did week one, Hamilton's not going to win the game. And Bo Levi Mitchell historically has a great record against the Ticats. So hopefully I'm wrong, but I got to go Stampeders. And then, yeah, Riders over Elks in a romp. I don't think that one's going to be particularly close either, but we'll be closer than the 59-15 or whatever it is, whatever it was so. against BC. But, uh, yeah, I still think Riders, Riders went by a lot. So Absolutely. Um, and I think that does it for us for this week. Uh, so hopefully the Ticats O-line can get it together and we will be back to talk about a victory in week two. Josh, you want to take us home? It's my time. I just wanted to thank everybody for taking the time to listen to us today. Uh, always remember to eat them raw. The Eaton Em Raw podcast is brought to you by Coast to Coast Connections. We bring you the latest on everything in the Hamilton sports world, along with coverage on the big four leagues fans just can't get enough of. A special shout out goes to Kay Wilson for the CTC logo. Find more of her work at kwilson.art on Instagram or on Facebook at kwilsonart. Thanks again for listening to the Eaton Em Raw podcast. New episodes drop every Thursday. Don't forget to hit the follow button and always remember to eat them raw.